When you think of software development, what comes to mind? Is it code, team of developers, or should it go beyond? Here on the Get In The Mode podcast, we share with our guests some of tech's biggest goals. Hi, I'm David Jay, the host and founder of ModeStack, who is on a mission to empower business leaders and decision makers with technology that is outcome-driven. Innovation mode, execution mode, strategy mode. There are many phases and facets to the world of software and technology. Get in the mode. Our guest today is Rana Gujral. He is an entrepreneur, investor, and the CEO of Behavioral Insights. I'll let you tell us more about that, Rana. What have you thought there? What is Behavioral Insights? Yeah, sure. So Behavioral Signals, I mean, at Behavioral Signals, we we deduce insights, uh, which are both intelligent and actionable, and we do it uh, from voice conversations. And our, and our core focus is in, uh, in, in sort of analyzing the, the tonality around uh, the speech delivery, so the pitch and tonal variance, and we, we get deep into that and we extract a variety of different signals uh, from, from that. And, I mean, if you think about it, uh, communication, human communication is a complex process that depends on a multitude of factors, but primarily the words being spoken, but also more importantly, the, the way they're being expressed. And so what we do is we capture acoustic cues, intonations, and other interaction signals, and we discover a range of, uh, range of different uh, insights, such as emotions and behaviors, uh, and even uh, even sort of uh, you know uh, from a, from a perspective of what the intent behind that delivery of the word is, and then we we, we deliver those uh, insights into our analytics platform that that that's geared towards uh, certain industry KPIs. So that's kind of what we do at a very very high level. Great. Um, so there's an AI component uh, to this, obviously. Um, why don't you tell us? Obviously, AI is an umbrella term. What are some of the specific AI elements? Maybe tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about what your understanding of AI is, how you use that umbrella term, and what are the specific areas within AI that you, you know, that you work on? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I mean, AI itself is, is fairly broad as a term, and it encompasses anything that has to do with uh, developing an intelligent machine to do faster what humans do better today, I guess. I mean, so that's one definition of AI. And this machine could just be a computer or a mobile phone or a virtual assistant or a robot, doesn't really matter. It's, it's a generic term. I mean, used liberally by everyone and rarely does it explain really what a company really does. So in a sense, from our perspective, you use the term also to explain quickly in which domain we're working in, but rarely two companies working on AI do the same thing or use the same tools. For example, we use machine learning and more specifically deep learning, which falls under the generic AI domain along with 
NLP, which is natural language processing, to train algorithms that can help uh, machines understand emotions or behaviors. And that's that's a core focus area. And something a human finds what, what, yeah. What in your opinion, you know, philosophically speaking, it goes back to the Greeks where there's always this thought of simulating intelligence in our real world, in things that we do, in the machines that we interact with. Why do you think AI has picked up lately? What's, what's kind of made trend in, you know, among investors? Like a lot of money is being poured into that. What, what, why do you see, think the trend is? Well, I think uh, we, we've always, uh, as a human uh, race, we've always been on a quest to automate our, our daily tasks and improve our productivity in order to make ourselves more efficient and more productive. And uh, in general, also um, not do things we don't tend to like to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, so for example, back in the day, um, it was sort of the industrial revolution, which is, hey, I, I gotta assemble these boxes. Uh, can a machine assemble these boxes? Or I gotta build this widget and can a machine build this widget? because uh, it's a repetitive, monotonous task. And so we built out these machines uh, to do that. And uh, then, then we have built out uh, software systems to automate the complexity that specialists uh, need to be involved in. And um, so the next level up is, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, the decision-making aspects to it and making intelligent decisions and getting into complex territories which aren't necessarily um, can be entirely predicted or in the sense automated. So it has to be um, more, I guess, dynamic in terms of uh, taking inputs and making the right decision. And that's sort of been the ultimate human ability that, you know, whenever there's dynamism in place, you can't automate that. A machine can't do it because it's not repetitive. And now you need a human to chime in and help out with the process. And AI is essentially um, a process or a step towards taking some of those things um, and then helping, helping machines do that. And you know, helping machines make intelligent decisions that aren't necessarily based on static uh, inputs, but it's based on dynamic set of inputs which uh, have a dynamic output and it's a self-learning mechanism. And self-learning becomes a very important component of AI. Because uh, you, you have to, if you're making an intelligent entity, one of the definitions of being intelligent is that you can learn. It's not just what you know, but what else can you learn as, as you go along and, and how do you learn from experiences. And so certainly machines are very uh, capable, so they can, they can do things very well. I mean, a calculator could be called can, very intelligent because it does it could do math then better than humans but is it really intelligence no we still think it's a dumb machine because it's based on a static set of inputs um, and if you change the paradigm will it be able to adjust or if you give the problem in a different way can it still calculate and i think that's that's the promise of ai i mean the promise of ai is to take that take that to the next level and help us um, be more productive more efficient um, also, I think also help solve problems that uh, currently haven't been solved, even by humans, right? I mean, so when we're looking into uh, processing vast amounts of data and making decisions based on that, um, humans' ability is limited there. So now that we could take the machine's ability to process large amounts of data and then add on to it uh, the capability of AI to make intelligent decisions and learn from that, 
now you have a very, very intelligent system that, um, you know, can in a way substitute him and, and do things that humans do better today and do it better, in fact, yeah. uh, than humans in, in some ways in the future. So in your opinion, you've been big on voice detection, AI related to voice detection, and obviously behavioral signals uses that to track emotion. Tell us what are the three key, key things that our listeners should know about voice detection and AI? Sure, so that's an interesting question. So I think, uh, I think about three things. Uh, the first thing is um, the speech recognition is already considered state of the art and it's able to understand us pretty good, pretty clearly with very high levels of accuracy. And we're seeing a lot of devices which, with the speech recognition capabilities. So if you think about our phone, our car, uh, but also our home appliances uh, like fridge and microwave that can keep track of our shopping list and find information on the internet, et cetera, et cetera. So when these appliances go a step further mm -hmm. and start analyzing the emotions of the humans using them, that, that's an interesting, interesting situation and it's interesting set of possibilities. Mm -hmm. For example, um, like say if there's a refrigerator that will understand a stressed mother that is setting up a shopping list for her son's upcoming birthday party, et cetera, and able to assist her uh, or, you know, or, or make some suggestions. So I think, um, or, or a home, a smart home that is able to sense your state of mind and uh, based on the tone of voice and uh, help you uh, relax or make some certain suggestions in lighting or music. So that's, that's one thing. That's, uh, that's an interesting play of uh, voice detection and emotion AI. Okay. Now, the other thing to think about is, uh, you know, voice detection is still subject to background noise or bad microphones, and in some cases might have a problem getting it right. So something right. similar is happening with speech recognition when it comes to non-English accents or people with speech impairments. So, but both problems are being tackled right now as we speak. So engineers are working on noise cancellation technologies while large companies like Google working with people who have speech impairment to collect tons of data that will help them train the algorithms and understand everyone better. So we, like from our perspective, we want the technology to be inclusive. And although emotion recognition as language agnostic, it is not culturally agnostic. And that's why we, I mean, our behavioral signals are also working with partners from all over the world to train our algorithms to uh, better understand a very diverse set of behaviors. So that's a second area that's really very important to us, which, uh, which we focus on quite a bit. Lastly, I'd say, um, I think the, I mean, if you think about, you know, the extensive array of research papers, we've seen that emotion recognition from voices different from capturing emotions from face. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, chitter chatter on that. And it's, I mean, voice is very difficult to manipulate for an extended period of time. So a master in controlling the facial expressions will ultimately fail through her speech. And it's not only what we say, but what words we use, but also how we say something can, can say a lot about what we are feeling. So I'll give you an example. So when you're speaking with someone close to you or the phone, your parent or your child, you're almost able, always able to identify how they feel in the moment, sad, worried, stressed, joyful, and neutral, or just neutral. But the human brain is extremely capable of understanding these subtle changes in emotions. And, uh, and we're, right now what we're doing is like we're taking that ability and, uh, and helping machines 
get to that same level playing field. So you don't have to give out our, your secret sauce to us, but is your voice recognition and you know mapping that emotion based on just to tonality? There's tonality and maybe also the words, the type of words that we use in certain contexts. When you're stressed, you use certain different type of words. You know, maybe use some bad language. You're swearing at somebody. So, my question is, like, does the, does your voice, you know, emotion, emotional detection solution or platform detect, you know, all those different based on all those different parameters? Yeah. So, we do focus uh, uh, almost entirely on tonality, and it's uh, it's something that. Uh, really differentiates us from the range of other capabilities that you see out there. Right? So when you think about, there's a lot of companies uh, that speak to NLP and conversational AI, and they speak to being able to deduce uh, the state of mind, uh, emotions and behaviors in conversations. But the, they, tend to, they tend to do that by largely focusing on the words that are being spoken. And that's, that's, that's sort of like the, the gen one, right? So like you, you, you have, uh, very advanced, capable speech-to-text engines and ASR engines. We, we have our own homegrown ASR that, that will take any audio and convert that into uh, actual text and words uh, with very high levels of accuracy. And then you can process and, you can process and analyze that text to, to get a feel of what's going on and how is someone feeling. But uh, our, our core capabilities go far, far beyond that. What we do is we focus on the tone of voice and we focus on the pitch and tonal variance. So I'd say close to 80% of our focus and signal detection is on tone of voice. And we use ASR uh, as a very small percentage of the analysis to improve the overall accuracy and some, some domain capability. So Rana, we have to break down what ASR is. Yeah, ASR, sorry, ASR, uh, by ASR I mean uh, automatic uh, speech recognition. Got it. Okay. And uh, what you call uh, speech to text, um, you know, which taking audio and converting that into words. Are we able to utilize some of the ASR technologies developed by big companies like Google, Apple, since, you know, you can see that in some of, our, you know, the speech to text that we have on our, you know, text messaging or Google, any of the apps that we have. We've got some of those. Are we able to tap into the, their frameworks, or is that something still proprietary to them that we're not able to tap into? ASR, you know, ASR in fact has become a very commoditized product. So, you know, eight to ten years ago, um, maybe it wasn't even that far back um, when we were speaking about ASR or NLP or speech to text. We were talking to these things as a cutting edge, bleeding edge capability, cutting edge technology. So fast forward into 2020, ASR is no longer cutting edge. ASR is a commoditized capability that, uh, that is very widely available by, uh, through uh, you know, a variety of different providers out there in the market today. Uh, I mean, including us, Behavioral Signals, we have our own homegrown ASR product that we do bring to market. We call it ASR Plus. Um, so um, that's, um, you know, uh, that's a very widely available capability that, 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 that is available in the market. Uh, people, can, uh, people don't have to build it themselves. They can just simply buy or license out a capability from a company like Nuance or Microsoft or, uh, or Amazon or, uh, and, and build their capabilities on top of it or buy from us, Behavioral Signals. 
but I think the actual magic comes in is what do you do beyond that? So now you've taken audio, you've converted that into words. What next? Uh, where do you take it from there? What can you analyze and can you go deeper into it? Uh, or can you, like for us, for example, our, our focus is on tone of voice. And, uh, and then we, we gather a lot of capabilities and a, a sort of a lot of signals and capabilities are built on top of those signals. Uh, which are deduced from tone of voice, and then we then we apply to industry KPIs. So yeah, I mean to answer your question, yes, uh, it's uh, certainly you know uh, a capability that's very very widely available today. Perfect. And then you know you've also had a hand in fintech, um, you know with tokening. Um, we I'm sure the users listeners would love to know what are some global trends that you're seeing in that industry, you know, how things are playing out in fintech. Yeah, for sure. So Token is an incredibly disruptive venture led by an iconic founder. I mean, I, I'm fortunate to be a small part of it. I mean, I love disruptive tech and I do see a lot of overlaps with other industries I'm involved in. And so if you think about, you know, some of those, some of those trends and overlaps, I mean, 2020 is uh, predicted to feature a, a very strong collision of two worlds, financial services and technology, both AI and blockchain. And token represents a powerful synergy of these industries and promises to bring out the modern banking to a completely new level, right? So if you think about the first trend to watch is the obvious one, which is the AI revolution. And in the last few years, there's a lot of buzz around AI. Um, and especially the buzz around AI and fintech was large, and only but only a few use cases have been successfully scaled and monetized. And on the other hand, machine learning has deployed better deployed solutions that complement traditional fintech, uh, traditional analytics and fintech. So I think upcoming year, um, more new sources of information about customers and data collection methods, and I think AI is going to make that possible. So that's that's I'd say one big trend to watch. Um, the second trend is what we were just talking about, which is the voice revolution. And it's rapidly evolving technologies of AI and machine learning that have a significantly influenced uh, the way we interact with our smart devices. And there are now new requirements of the digital transformation era. Like for example, we need to adjust products and services to voice enabled devices. And we're fast moving uh, into the moment where when brands from different industries will integrate voice tech into customer experience to stay competitive. So I think, I think that's, I mean, customers will be able to open up a deposit maybe soon using, using voice and that's, that's hap going to happen soon. And it's not a fad anymore. In fact, you know, we're looking at, um, you know, certain voice based chatbots that are very accurate and certain banks have uh, taken a lead on that. And so I think, I think that's, that's the next trend to watch, which is the voice revolution. I think overlaps both FinTech and what, in what we do. And third is obvious blockchain. I think, you know, even though uh, it still needs a lot of testing and still early, um, it, it can make those relationships between financial institutions and customers based on trust and transparency and can reduce transaction times and significantly improve cash flow. So I think that's a third mega trend. Uh, and uh, Token is uh, taking on all three at the same time and uh, certainly not the voice revolution part, but I think it, it's a very disruptive capability. How were you involved in Token, in the Token project? What was your role? Well, uh, Token, uh, I'm a board advisor at Token and uh, I mean, I, I've known the Token team for a long time. I think it's uh, 
Steve Kirsch is he's a uh, he's very impressive. Uh, his um, the things which he has done in the past and the inventions and the contributions he's made overall, um, you know, both in the field of uh, technology and medical science, uh, you know, is 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 just an amazing team. Great, Rana. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into some questions around how technology has affected personally you know we talked a little more about global trends and things like that but we want to turn our conversation a little bit personal towards the impacts that it's had on your life i am interrupting this engaging conversation to tell you about modestack a digital product agency that makes this podcast possible struggling with staff and not sure how to get ahead Keep hearing about the cloud and how it can change your team? Have an application that you invested lots of money and haven't seen growth? These are the questions that our team has worked on answering for years. Learn more at themodestack.com. Let's get back to the show. Uh, back to Rana. So, Rana, tell us... Uh, of amusing story or funny story working with your team could be a personal one feel free to share we'd love to hear yeah sure so i think you know there's there's lots of funny stories uh, and there they seem to uh, kind of all revolve around uh, how uh, how kids have uh, sort of so easily adapted to ai in their lives and um, i mean the other day my head of engineering was telling me about his two young sons and how they use technology and how they kind of fight over, uh, you know, who, who's going to play or have Alexa play their songs. But I think there's also an interesting, um, interesting observation and study that we were discussing internally within our teams. And I think we're have, getting a kick out of that. And that was, uh, why, is, uh, why is that we are so rude to voice assistants? And in fact, there was a study recently <laughs> uh, that, uh, that came out which uh, which measured that and which measured the fact that you know well behaved uh, the kids certainly i mean kids love to do this right so kids love to uh like treat alexa like they're slaves um but uh, adults are also pretty rude i mean when we talk to the voice assistants uh we're pretty like condescending in our tone and in our tone of voice and then generally how we treat it uh we don't talk to each other like that right and i think uh so we're thinking about that and there was like, you know, um, and one of the things I think which is primal in that is uh, we, uh, we tend to, we tend to not think of these devices as our equal for a variety of reasons. Obviously they're not, but for one of the primal reasons is because it doesn't understand how I feel like some, from like a basic, basic perspective. Right. So if I ask you a question and I say, um, would you like to do this? And you respond back with a very sarcastic, sure. Um, I, I hear what you're saying, but my natural response probably would be, okay. I mean, I, I, I think I know that you don't really want to do this because uh, I hear sarcasm. And so maybe now is not a good time. So it's, it's that important, right? So the tone of voice is that important and how you're saying things is that important because I understand the context and the state of mind. And, uh, and that makes that conversation what it is. I mean, it's, it's real, it's empathetic and it's, uh, it's involved and it's engaged. Um, now we don't do that. Right. So the pr promise of 
these voice assistants being uh, re replacing humans and replacing our uh, real life assistant hasn't happened because it's a very transactional conversation. I mean, you, you could you could ask it to do something and it will do it. And it's got a fantastic search engine in the background, but it has no clue how I feel or if I mean what I'm saying. And it's going to take everything literally. And uh, that that cr creates a lot of, uh, you know, so it's a, it's a distrust, right? So and I think what I see is that as adults, uh, we, you know, um, we definitely feel that and we don't think of it as an equal and kids uh, get that hang on, hang on to that real quick and they think that they can get away with it. So it will, you know, uh, they'll have Alexa do really random things and speak to it in really nasty tones. And uh, I think that's really funny to see sort of how, you know, how, how we're all sort of uh, relating with AI uh, and different technologies around us. That makes sense. It, it really is amusing if, when I hear myself back, you know, on how I talk with Alexa. So it's, uh, you know, I wish Alexa could play back a series of things that, you know, I, I know they don't record our voice anymore, but maybe in the future they would and they'll play it back and then kind of. We hope they don't. <laughs> that's that's really the hope. <laughs> So, um, you know, tell us about upcoming events that you're involved in, that you're attending, that you're excited about, that you want to share with our listeners. Yeah, so um, I'm uh, involved in a variety of different events uh, fairly regularly. Uh, we uh, speak at uh, all leading events and conferences. Um, so the most recent one is uh, next week, uh, the Conversational Interaction Conference. Uh, that's uh, that's happening right here in San Jose. Uh, I'm also doing a keynote at AI Everything, uh, which is presumably the world's largest AI event. Uh, that's in Dubai. That's in March. Also in March is the Horasis Global Meeting, which is uh, kind of like uh, WEF uh, in Davos, but uh, a little bit more sort of uh, focused on certain world events. Um, then, I mean, I'll be at Speech Tech in Washington. I'll be at Rise of AI in Berlin. I'll be at Bebit in NextWeb in and Amsterdam, so I, like, there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of platforms that we're fairly active in, and uh, you know uh, it, it's an amazing opportunity for us to engage with the audience out there and get feedback and get interesting ideas that we could feed back into our, into our products and our capabilities. Those are great events. Thanks for mentioning it to our listeners. Um, hope to attend. Are you also going to the AI Summit in London? I think I believe it's in June. Um, you know, the 21st around that time frame. Um, actually, I will be at a similar event in London on June 2nd, I believe, and it's called CX Emotion. And Got it. It's a very interesting emotion. It's, it's an emotion AI and its applications on uh, customer service and customer experience, uh, which is really where we play in. So I'll be there, but I'll not be, uh, you know, uh, the event you mentioned. Perfect. Um, Rana, for our listeners, if they were to reach you, uh, what's a good place for us for us listeners to follow you, reach you at? The one good way to learn more about what we do is go to our webpage, which is www.behavioralsignals.com, B-E-H-A-V-I-O-R-A-L signals.com. You could also go to my webpage, which is ranagujral.com, and uh, you could, uh, through that webpage, send me a note, send me an email, uh, 
you know, happy to engage if there's an interesting idea that you're working on that overlaps with what we can help with. Um, really want to want to hear about it. Great, uh, great talking with you. We'll also post your websites on our show notes. Um, Rana, once again, it was a pleasure meeting you and really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for your time. If you are fired up by what you heard today, please share with a friend who will find this useful. As always, subscribe, rate, and review. And remember that innovation happens when you get in the mode.